Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stars and Stars podcast with me, Varun Gopi. This is episode twenty-two. On this episode, I chat with Raghav Chandra, co-founder of Urban Company, formerly called Urban Cloud, where we discuss building products for millions of engaged users and creating a unique platform that now serves many major markets in India and globally. We also chat about building a product for clients and for the service providers, creating value and going about the process. and of course things that he's done during lockdown do you want to keep updated whenever we release a new episode on the sazan sarvas podcast take a moment to subscribe to the channel to be informed whenever i release any new episodes you can do that wherever you're listening to this podcast did you know that you could get goodies if you do subscribe to our email newsletter yep that's right just go on to stars.substack.com to sign up for a newsletter so that you get informed whenever i release any new episodes okay let's continue the show with raga of urban company it's a very busy time i think for all of us uh, especially with folks that are running a technology company so uh, how is the urban company yeah i think it's it's busy in a way and it's a ton of time which is also just free you don't know what to do with so much of time but yeah no we we've we've coped up uh, well we've been very busy through the whole uh, last quarter uh, yeah thanks for asking in the last uh, you know couple of years uh, there's a lot that has changed in terms of uh, the urban company strategy including the name from urban clap to urban company um, you currently handle engineering and product how has the journey been so far the journey journey's been a long good 5 6 years now and actually i've i've played a very for myself played a very diverse role because i have uh, the uae business which is the first international country which we expanded in two years back uh, so i look after that so each of us the three founders each of us have nicely found one international geography to mentor uh, and i've 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 last year i found my foray into leading the design team as well uh design team does not consider me much of a designer but uh but if you ask me i think i'm a pretty good intern there uh i think that's been uh you know that's been more of the spectrum of things you know as, as i look back last 5 6 years uh we've had quite a journey in building urban company which urban clap initially and it's gone through some very interesting you know I, if i look back and maybe we'll touch upon this some point uh, but a good three four very distinct phases in in what what we thought is the solution and what we must do uh even though the problem statement at its, at its crux has been been often the same when you guys started what was the initial thesis because i think at that time there was a lot of players doing different things somewhat unorganized segment right everybody wanted to say okay i can get you a plumber at home i can get you an electrician at home everybody felt that they'd have a better solution than what's out there and then of course uh, apps uh, were the thing to basically make everything uh, you know kind of blow up uh, what was the initial thesis for you when we entered this was back in 2014 and i remember uh, we all three of us had our own different startups before we we we, we got together um, right. um yours was buggy right and, yes so i was trying to solve the uh, ride sharing transportation sector uh and it was what a struggle my god and i was 23 years then so uh quite a daunting task then and i was doing it alone and i think varun abhraj just tried moved back to india 
uh, in 2013. Uh, amongst the bunch of experiences I went through, one of them was building my first startup. Abhraj Varun had just quit BCG. Um, and they were trying to have a go at their first startup. Um, and then we got started. We then started talking about, uh, you know, what could we do together? Because, you know, three of us kind of almost failing at the first try. Uh, that's when we realized we had a very close affinity to solving very, very large spaces. Uh, right? And something which touches upon mass market and hence it, it's almost like a daily, daily life problem. Uh, and we wanted, we were very clear, we want to do something, we want to ultimately build a large company so that it shouldn't happen that after 20, 30 years, we kind of, or after 10 years, we lose this team. So it's something large enough which keeps us occupied for the rest of our working life. But more, more importantly, something which is uh, built upon the leverage of technology and is able to create a massive difference uh, because otherwise we would lose that passion. Right? We were fueled by disrupting very, very large spaces. And therein we found that one of the most archaic spaces, and we didn't have to, to be honest, think a lot, uh, was being new to a city. I was new to Delhi. Actually, all three of us were new to Delhi. Somehow we were just hand, ended up being in Delhi together. Uh, basic things like getting a plumbing fixed and, and how you reliant you are on your security guard, for pretty much everything in the house, uh, kind of sparked that interest that, hey, like this, this human to human transaction which happens which we call services now is extremely broken um, and we looked at the whole spectrum right up to like uh, Abhiraj just got in marriage uh, married when we started off and like finding a photographer for example where the hell you go you'd ask your chacha for their his daughter's wedding and get that reference I think that's what made us really go deep into exploring services and I think after that it was a very structured waterfall of uh, it's extremely, extremely unorganized. You have 25 million professionals either freelancing through or under some contractor, but all in all, very, very fragmented and, and almost like hardly getting the ends to meet. Uh, and that's when you just took the plunge. Did you go through a process of validation or you're saying, like, you know what, this is a problem that we faced. There are so many others who have the same challenge. And then uh, since we went through this process, we also feel like we know the challenges and which, which have to be fixed and how to fix it. Um, and we're all smart guys, uh, you know, we're consultants and I've seen it, you know, how the West handles it. Um, and hence, I will do this better. Was was that the way you guys approached it? What is the thought there? Yeah, I think the two, two very important things. I think once bitten, twice shy. Uh, all of us with our first experience knew exactly what not to do. Uh, and where the big struggle points would be. Uh, and the second is it, it always helps to have consultants in your team, right? So with, with other Kutu co-founders being very heavy on like consulting experience, I think you're very structured this time. And I remember we used to spend, like we used to do surveys with our friends with seven, 700 people personally paying to fill out survey forms. Uh, and interestingly, there's only one question we realized is relevant whenever we were doing these surveys, which is, are you going to pay money for for something, right? Not asking what do you want because everyone will say I want A, B, C, D but are you going to pay money? And I think that got us to a gist of it is a true problem very, very quickly. So it was very structured. It took us about two months to structure the problem statement and just a month to launch the first product. Wow, that was, uh, that's quite fast for an MVP uh, to launch, uh, etc. How many service providers were there on the first iteration? 
uh, or did you focus on certain geography? So Rosine, first first month was very interesting, right? So we get together uh, with three of us. Uh, I think I had broken ribs when we started. When we officially started, I had like three ribs broken. But the good thing was I was supposed to build the platform while Abraj Varun. We had ten categories when we began. So they split it into five and five, uh, and they had to go and onboard the supply. Eighth um, November is when we launched, or tenth November is when we launched. and we i don't think we had any supplier by then uh, but what we used to do is we would go out we'd get a lead on the customer side uh, and that lead is not a structured we didn't market so we'd go to khan market or ask a friend or search facebook mom groups on meets and once we had a lead we'd then go out within the next few hours uh, very quickly abhiraj varun would scan the web find people to meet really good professionals convert them there and then and on an email we would make the connect so our first version was basically on an email with a database we were trying to build uh and i think in a week or so that became more structured we put a web form to get that information uh build profiles around it and literally this was like the most mvp scratchy version you can imagine you know it's it's interesting right because uh, when you look at the lean startup you look at uh you know all these startup yarn that you get they say go build an mvp right and if you look at the web prior to 2014 2013 people would have accepted anything right like you know what as long as i get a job done it's it's you know um do you feel like today you know fast forward 5 6 years um the same mvp would work because it seems like now we need to have some kind of an experience some kind of a, you know look and feel for somebody to say you know what i trust these guys are doing job i won't i i think it would it would still work so i think here's the interesting thing right what is the p so product market fit or mvp for us the the p is actually not the technical product which gets built right the p is our ability to get a job done and that point it was more of getting two people to connect today it's getting a service done uh, right and there the mvp does not have to be even a web functional website it could just be a person helping varun connect to uh, to a beautician for example or varun connect to a fitness trainer uh, and i think it, it that's why it, did, it wouldn't probably like mvp We have, I'm very grateful. Our MVPs were so scrappy because it just cut the chase. It was basically you're trying to see if if a match is even needed, right? Are we even able to add value? Like, what happens if I connect you to a fitness trainer? Like, like I, we don't know. Are we supposed to participate in that journey or not? Right. So the more rudimentary, the better. It basically meant we are on calls with the partner and the customer because we had no tech platform. which is great because you got a lot of consumer insights you know the more you talk about this you're saying hey what i'm doing is i have a database or i could have a database of uh, providers and then there are others who want to engage with this database of providers right um, if you look at say just dial right the providers would be there hanging out uh, i i know just dial is kind of passe for a lot of people right now I don't know how many people use it, so what? 
but I do remember uh, at the time you guys launched, which is 2014, 15, and maybe even 16, I still see ads in the movie theater with just a, uh, you know, kind of ads. Um, was that, were there ever competition? Uh, because I would imagine if, if I wanted some service, I would go to Jastel and probably find something. And they had uh, the iconic phone number, which you could call them, you know, get these numbers messaged to you. H how did you guys view, um, you know, uh, a giant? Yeah, you know, on, on the side, I'm a big fan of Just Dial ads. I think they just do a phenomenal job. They still play it on the movie theaters, I think. Uh, I think the first two years, when we launched, we were definitely not the first people. There were about 150 companies in the same space in India, mm. already launched. And some of them were pretty large from our vantage point then. Uh, and uh, I remember we used to, you know, we used to have a David and the Goliath joke. It was not a joke. It was a pump up. It was a pitch we used to do in our town halls. The rally um, cry. Where, uh, yes, and, and I, think, you, I think you were there in one of them probably, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I was uh, visiting, uh, you know, I used to sell payment services at that time. And I was, uh, I so happened uh, to drop it on that day. And I think the news just broke uh, that, you know, you guys signed uh, a big, you know, uh, term sheet. And so I think I, I heard parts of that town hall and I was pumped up. I, you know, as a service provider, I was like, yeah, like go get them. Right. Like it was exciting. So we had this whole David and Goliath thing happening and it was not a real thing. I, we've used it a few times in our early days. And for that, the Goliath used to be like the bigger player. Uh, and and then the whole pitch was, we need to be nimble. So it's getting the teams to iterate things fast and kind of not be intimidated. Um, but interestingly, I think we've, we've never had a very um, strong, uh, like we've, we've known what other players have been doing even internationally. We've, we've never actually tracked or bothered much or cared about competition. Uh, and, and thank God for that because we've had the freedom to uh, change and iterate through business models. So right now we are nothing like, so I think uh, the big players, if you said, Back in 2016 or 15 for us, um, like uh, though, just as like it's a it's a classified, so it's a very different industry. But some people would refer to that as one of the bigger players. Uh, you had Thumbtack in the US, which was doing pretty well. Our initial models drawings were based out of what those were doing. We're a very different business today. We're a fulfilled business. We are not a, a classifieds or a or open marketplace, right? We're a very very high touch point, controlling every part of the experience kind of company. You know, I mean, uh, coming to the controlled part of the business, right? it was a very dirty business, so to speak, um, in the sense, you'll have to go grassroots. The service provider and the, the person who received the service are probably from very different backgrounds, right? Um, and of course, uh, you know, how did you guys put yourself in their shoes? Uh, what was the initial thought process? How did you get yourself convinced that this is something that you could do? Yeah. No, we used to, our, our, our families would always ask us, like, so unsexy. But I guess you've made this unsexy very sexy. Um, it, I think, Varun, it started off with, uh, our, our, I think our journey probably went through like very distinct uh, four phases. Uh, these mini pivots which happened. All right, the first version was we were very clear that the industry is very fragmented. Um, and there is a definitely a lack of structure 
right? Uh, so our first version was really where we sort of wanted to connect people, reduce the hurdles in connection. But we wanted to be category experts, and at that point, the category expert is meant can I capture the right information for a professional? So if it's a photographer, we actually had amongst the best portfolios for these photographers uh, or an interior designer. Uh, right? We went really deep into structuring our information. Uh, and that was the first touch point, right? Saying that it's an open marketplace. You come, you give your requirements. We'll connect you to the top five people we can find. Uh, but very soon we realized, uh, actually, that's that's really not where all the problems end, uh, right? And I think we were just touching the tip of the iceberg. Um, we realized some people just want the job to be done. Like, I don't want to choose between the professionals. So that's when we created a booking model where you can actually book and that was not for all categories, right? So a plumber or a carpenter or a beautician, you just say, hey, I want a service professional to show up. We decide the service professional to show up, right? And this was a huge risk to go from an open marketplace to now actually the onus being on us. But but it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, and that's when the third learning came in. So there was a second, second mini shift, right? The third shift was now that the onus is on us, uh, we better control quality. Uh, Right, and quality became a huge thing. And, and we wanted to control quality because we realized all of this structuring and stuff is great, but at its core, the industry is fragmented. And because of that, the quality benchmarks are all over the place. Like It was so bad that if I asked you, can you define what a yoga instructor is supposed to do? As a consumer, you could, probably couldn't define it. Now, I don't know. Like yoga and like, For example, what are the SKUs for a plumber? No clue. He's supposed to come and fix. How do I know what more can he do, right? And so we had to go deeper. Quality became a big thing. Uh, and the first hurdle we had to cross was how do we control our supply, right? In a fragmented industry, you have these aggregators which exist, uh, right? So there'll be a bunch of plumbers under one contractor or a bunch of beauticians under a salon head, all right, who'd be doing at home. Uh, it became a big hurdle. So we changed that and we went and this is where we cut the line from having aggregators to actually having directly beauticians and plumbers on our platform. And again, something unthoughtful because they never did digital commerce. These people are not used to digital commerce. Uh, right? Uh, and I think we, that was amongst the most fundamental things we could have done. It can completely change things because that gave us the ability to go super deep. And what we did after that was then build uh, different infrastructural pieces for these partners uh, right from kind of figuring out how booking and calendar management happens for, for them to solving training to solving their financial needs there's zero capital which they have so how do we give them capital and loans uh, and so on and so forth what's most interesting for me is uh, you know I, I want to come back to the, the product side of it which you know you kind of touched upon because they're new to this and they've never done this before uh, how do you enable them but before we get there, uh, when you're talking about trading, you're talking about you know upskilling, because now you've taken away the onus of the aggregator or a third party to say, okay, uh, send me a good person, right? To actually saying, I'll take everyone and then I will put them on some scale that will ultimately say that you know they do well, we do well, uh, hence the customer is happy, so on and so forth. Uh, so you have to bring everybody to at least a baseline to then. You know, uh, because ratings will only give you information in the future, right? Not when you're starting off. Uh, 
so what was that shift like controlling nothing to controlling everything yes it took a while uh, and you're right rating only gives you it just quantifies things uh, right it doesn't help you improve things for that you need to do actual things right uh, and it started off with i think it was a journey and the journey happened for us by picking some categories going very deep uh, right uh, and i think our business is very complex because you have multiple geographies and you have multiple categories and each category is very different right tackling your home is very different from personal care like beauty uh, where with a person's like literally it, it's like he's literally a foot away from you yeah um, i think that that journey happened it took some time uh, but i think in 2016 a uh, 17 beauty emerged to be a very very powerful business because we went very full stack in it and when i say full stack it meant we had training happening for beauty uh, um all the equipment and stuff which they were using was fairly standardized in fact we started a product business by then right so business in the sense used so all products for the beautician uses on the job we started controlling that as well uh, right we we had an inventory uh, part beauticians could directly buy from there it allowed us to quality check are they using the products uh, we started innovating on mono doses we see what shampoo companies did with one rupee sachets yeah uh, right super critical because then how do you know that they've used more or less right. uh, and that was super great because that opened our eyes in terms of damn like this is a massively like it's a, it's a huge attention business you could do so much good people actually love this yeah. uh, and then we expanded uh, and it took category by category infrastructure by infrastructure today we are at a point where 100% of our business is fulfilled and each each business line would be probably different varying levels of fulfillment but we have five broad pillars which we look at it starts with the ability to control and manage calendars for a professional and match it to demand right so i don't need a receptionist or a large army to say how many plumbers are working tomorrow uh, right i can match that and interesting i'll point out a nuance right it's not real time booking so for us it's not so much of a question of how many people are how many like equivalent of how many drivers or delivery boys are live right now people are pacing bookings 3 days in advance i need to predict will someone be available 3 days in advance right and taken all the human errors of 5% chance someone is sick uh, 5% is huge 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 margin for us in terms of bad deliveries so uh, calendar management and stuff was one bucket uh, the category expertise which is how do you structure a category all right what are the squs in it what is the process of delivering a service uh, right that was one bucket where we standardized third is the financing bit uh so we enabling loans insurances uh the welfare and the future of these partners because they are dependent on us uh fourth was the training and the upskilling bit and the fifth was the product layer uh right and these five are the very very core pillars which allow us to take um a professional and turn him into a micro entrepreneur on our on our platform you know i can go on about the number of people who who love the uh, uc experience right and i think uh, a lot of them have become super users uh, over over the years uh, but what i what i found five more fascinating as an entrepreneur is the fact that uh, what you're calling fulfill is actually a franchising business right they are, they've they've taken on the urban clap name and they're buying inventory from you so it could be bookings it could be 
uh, items, etc., from you because you're driving demand and they're helping you fulfill, which is exactly how a subway works, right? They get the training, yeah. they get the food, they get everything shipped to them to the location. And all they have to do is, is ensure that it happens. They open the shutters every day. Yeah. No, one, one could say that. And it's, it's, it's at the most atomic level, which is a person, right? You're basically, you're creating new businesses by giving them a whole plethora of platform leverage. But that business which you're creating is actually this one person. It's a micro entrepreneur, which I find super powerful because this person is a single household. And, and it's a household which typically would have earned 20,000 rupees a month. And you're able to make him go from 20,000 to about 50,000, 60,000. Best professionals, like a lakh rupees a month. That's mind boggling. All right. That's like the beginning salary of an engineer from an IIT or something. Um, and, and that's a blue collar uh, worker in a way. Uh, so some of the same exact level. And I think that's, that's, that's what fuels the beauty of it, right? Like every person who gets onboarded, so we get like $1 earned is $1 gone into uh, a blue collared workers or a, or a gig economy workers pocket. And that fuels massive disruption in his family structure. Oh, for sure. But I just want to divert this conversation in on the, on the product side, right? You, you have uh, millions of users now on both sides, service providers. I think they're more limited in number. When you when you talked about the interfaces, etc., what was the process you followed while building something like that? So we are basically a two-sided platform, and the third side is us, right? So we have to put the contours to the system. Uh, but the two users who exist in our platform are consumers, so users like you and me, and partners, right? Uh, now here's the interesting spin: the partners are not businesses; they're individuals. Point one, right? So we actually have consumer side ecosystems on both fronts. I mean, loosely tying the word consumer. Uh, and interestingly, the partners who uses our app day in, day out, hours and hours, like when he enters your house, the app is what guides him to what he needs to do. Payments, his facial recognition is using the right products. There's bar scanning. Uh, actually, the partner side is a lot more complex and involved because that's what's that's the quality checkpoint for us. And these are the two interesting things which, which fuel a lot of our product design thinking, so to say. If, if you look at the journey, we started off with a mobile-first approach. In fact, we only had a mobile web version. We didn't even launch desktop until our... So we had mobile web, then we had apps, and then we somehow released much later mobile a desktop version. Uh, but a large part of the consumer base is very, very mobile-heavy, and I think that's no surprise to anyone. But on the partner side, everything is very, very mobile uh, because they're on the go, right? And they need this information and all of this stuff. Like the front end of our apps, more as the storefront, right? This is a means to communicate because we potentially can't manage. Like on the partner side, I'll give you a more nuanced example. Consumer side is more understood by people. Uh, so on partner side, if you have to do training, right? Uh, now our, our space requires a lot of training. That's the bread and butter, right? Skilled professionals. Uh, it's very hard to train them when they're in like 15 cities and all of them are busy working. Right. Uh, right? We need to push out highly trained videos to them. Right? But even more interesting, what if you need to do a one-on-one chat? What if a partner is stuck on a job? Like if I'm getting my AC repaired and a partner gets stuck, right? he needs an expert to help him. Right? 
we leverage a lot of technology for things like this so you he can basically stream a live video call with an expert sitting in the office uh, to solve problems which he's having right and i think all of these nuances is what uh, technology is able to enable for us so just staying with the supply side uh, i would and, and you mentioned that they were also you know kind of blue collar in a way right um, did this mean that a lot of them did not have uh, you know they were semi literate or illiterate and how do you then create an app for them i mean do you ever come across that challenge very interesting you know we always feared this and i think a lot of us still fear this when we opening a new company uh, we realized everyone in india knows how to operate a smartphone in fact there are countless examples we've had where people might not know how to read or might not be familiar i, I think people know how to read by and large the segments you operate in but they might not be familiar with reading but they will still be very very heavy users of internet and app uh, right and this is one interesting thing uh actually this 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 i learned like in my previous startup when i was trying to get auto rickshaws on the go i talked to a few people and they had like this very fancy smartphone and i was like ye karta kya hai all they cared about is clicking yeah. a few buttons to few videos they had no clue what is written on it uh, our segment uh, varun has been a smartphone or a actually that's not true in the beginning we had to have people invest so digital commerce is new for them initially like the first one or two years so we had to do a lot of investments in having in fact i i remember we used to give out maybe first few set of people we probably would have like helped buy them android phones also the cheapest android phones 3000 rupee kinds we I, we used to do like some data packs uh, helping i think that stopped after some point uh, once there were success stories of uh, professionals doing well in this new digitally enabled business i think that's when life got very easy because what happened was then everyone because everyone knows how to use a phone uh, and even if they didn't it was easy for them because they viewed it as an investment that hey this seems like something which everyone talks about i'm going to like buy this brick uh, and uh, it's going to give me business like that's awesome uh, and i think that that reaction happened very quickly i mean the investment also has fallen drastically right you can get a phone for 5 6000 rupees uh, which does its job yeah even cheaper probably i mean i, I haven't bought a cheap phone in a while and my phone's last 3 years so uh probably longer if i don't lose them um you spent time in the us and, and you know as i understand you uh side in, in california uh and then you started with uh Did you start at Yelp first or then Twitter? Uh, which did you uh, work at? Uh, I was at Yelp for a few months with with more of more of an internship, okay. uh, and then Twitter. What was there any learning uh, that you've been able to take from there? Because you know there's stalwarts in in kind of building experiences, uh, building products for scale, and so on. Um, has any of those aspects have helped you with with your current role? Yeah so I think uh, So for me Yelp was very interesting. I think Yelp Yelp for me was an eye opener I, and that's what perhaps structured my mind in terms of what kind of businesses would I want to ever open in life because it was the first time I saw technology play a role in local businesses. All other businesses would get helped in tech through technology is very virtual right? Uh 
but this is the first time i saw that hey a barber shop could actually be still a barber shop it doesn't have to digitalize everything but technology becomes a forefront for its success um uh, and it was a very interesting thought right like uh, and i think in, in the 6 years i was in the us it was the cusp from 2008 to uh, 14 uh, it was also when all marketplaces got born so airbnb uber 2008 chat so for me my most impressionable years of college and first years of working were actually spent in the lap of what now we call as a marketplace platforms all right and i think that's a huge bias i've always had uh, that's the technology i relate to when i know this is this is i think it's going to stay with me for a long time uh, twitter was very fascinating because you were operating at like a scale which is like a billion uh, pings a second uh, and that's fascinating like it was massive uh, and i think a lot of my engineering roots uh, and product roots got formed there because actually it was going through its growth spurt i don't think i was early in twitter but when i joined it was still 600 people and when i left it was like 3000 people uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so not early in the scheme of things but definitely a lot earlier uh, if i had to go back and meet peers but also there was during that time uh, the mobile penetration also changed right i mean mobiles itself became uh, uh common place in the us uh maybe after the economic slump of 2008 uh, so interestingly interestingly india became a very important geography for all the social media social social tech players somewhere in the 2011s and not 11s and 12s in the 12s and 14s ke beech mein that's true uh because india's so actually us lagged a lot in terms of its mobile revolution right so it was yeah. never big thing because people anyways empowered to desktop uh, and everyone had laptops right the well being was well good enough uh, and that story in india and in uh, asia pacific started panning out uh, but the telecom operators of, but the telecom operators in the us also controlled how mobiles were sold so i think yeah. they also added that price and that the barrier was a uh, far greater I mean, I remember still having to decide which operator I go with based on what mobile I would get. Exactly. In fact, a lot of us would exactly choose operators because they would discount your iPhone. So my first iPhone was simply because AT and T discounted it and made it like two hundred dollars, and I was like, yes, that's why I want an iPhone. I mean, Apple called AT and T partners, right? Because they had to find a player to launch the iPhone, uh, and, and AT and T came forward, and uh, you know they did a massive rollout. and that was a huge win for apple to a large extent uh, and of course to at&t because they got a lot of high paying users at that time uh, i still think uh, some friends of mine who are in the us still have unlimited data from the launch of the iphone uh, up to down which most new players or new users in the us will not have, have unlimited data yeah india india is like what i, I don't think india's market would be the same if we didn't have the whole geo revolution happening with the internet and prior to that the mobile stuff some of the other interesting things that uh, urban company has done over the years right uh, you've launched a lot more products which i think uh, without the platform those products won't exist uh, to a large extent uh, I, the way that uh, i think the yoga category was created grooming as a you know home service was created probably your most uh you know power users come from your massage therapies at home uh you know category how do you guys come up with this like what is the process of monetization and creation of this vertical 
so it's a very structured process uh, um i think in, in our i think few we've drawn some artificial boundaries for ourselves right so our mission statement is to empower millions of professionals worldwide to deliver services at home like never experienced before so long mission statement would basically ground a few things for us it grounds that fact that we need to focus on services at home otherwise services exist in all forms and fashions right uh, because that's really where, where a lot of the expertise lies we can obviously cheat the rules sometimes but this is where a lot of our current expertise is uh, and the second theme is around empowering professionals we have seen a lot of leverage when we empower the professional himself all uh, right so that individual micro professional super important for our mission that's that's what like their success is what we live and breathe for um uh, and the underlying principle in terms of business building is fairly straightforward it's very cliched if you create value you will monetize right if you're not able to create value no one's going to pay you for it right so let value creation come first monetization will happen uh thankfully we've always been in a position where we've always monetized because otherwise the initially we used to be we monetized actually very early on in our days reason being very simple if you get people who are not paying then those are the wrong kind of learnings as a business construct all those contours we we've, we've carried on to make things real now typically varun i think uh, a lot of our categories are a little more obvious so if you have to kind of plot all the big headings where the household spending goes towards uh, it won't be a surprise that we'd probably be a lot more into the top spends uh, but i think there are some filters on top which we often use right uh, just because something is large in terms of what consumers spending does not so you have to look at service component here like what part can urban company play a role in like wedding is a huge industry sure but large part of wedding is like also like probably jewelry or catering or venue booking uh, right so i think deconstructing that second is there need to be a genuine problem where right? if you're not able to identify the real like if the experience is not very broken it's very hard to solve it right so either you you have to always be 10x above the current experience minimum you can't be like a little bit better you have to be 10x better so you're saying right. that delta of experience should be 10x so that means the yeah. old way of doing it versus the new way of doing it has that large experience differential yes otherwise it's not a very very strongly guarded mode and it takes time sometimes it takes time to build that 10x differential uh, so often times a lot of our category starts with doing a match doing the sizing these are all obvious business things you do but we'll take a punt but the whole purpose of the punt is to be able to create this differentiator as the first starting point and we're not shy we actually pull down categories without breaking an eyelid if it makes no sense and we've keep we we're very brutal in being very focused and not doing everything so whatever we are doing better work otherwise that intellectual mind is better spent somewhere else which category did you pull out very fast that you tried launch and like screw this is not working or it's not the way we want we, to deliver it 2015-16 when our initial business model used to work booking used to be less than 50% overnight we decided to close 50% of our business and it it was a and we had to tell people in so it had to like kind of decline over a few months but we basically gave up 50% of our then business uh, in a matter of just successive meetings with decision being just one final blow 
this was what we used to call the whole non booking so like a lot of tuitions events business services used to lie there uh and some of them we kept on in light sort on more to kind of see and see if we can jump deeper uh even in the past you've done like photography for example we took a genuine step to solve the industry but we realized it's uh it's much tougher we were not able to get a lot of intent we parked it for them all right uh packers movers was another such business uh, in india which we tried um very complex business it's definitely a worthy business it's a very worthy problem statement to solve but we we tried and we parked it um right so we keep juggling this and these kings keep coming back uh, right so it's, it's not that we've parked it means it's a bad thing it just sometimes means we're unable to solve it then we're not capable enough and we probably need to attempt again later this time time is important now that there's so many categories that are doing well Uh, we could always, yeah. you know, resurrect a, uh, a segment that could potentially work in the future. Um, I mean, yeah. now that you have installed, you have the user base, you can always divert them to other things that they possibly want. Um, Time, internal capability, and focus, right? Like teams get very like to solve these things deeply. A lot of focus which goes in. I think the juggling happens there. We want to build uh, like small value add businesses, but but like. A thousand of them, because that's more like a die by thousand cuts kind of a factory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about revenues, um, when you launch uh, any of these subscription, is that a product recommendation or businesses like we need to make uh, a new revenue stream? Because subscription has is, we have two subscriptions. One is on the partner side, one is on the customer side, right? Uh, both serve very different purpose. Uh, so customer side subscription is more to give. majorly a price leverage to a customer so that he retains for longer right so he would and the idea behind any subscription membership program even though you're giving him a cheaper proposition is he would end up using you more than he would have otherwise used you right so you basically end up creating more business value for yourself and the partner which outweighs the discount which you've given him so it becomes a win win situation right that's a typically a membership with loyalty programs are all the same what's uh, the uh, delta from a non paying non subscribing member to a subscribing member what kind of a jump did you see oh the math would be a lot more complex now but we we did see a substantial jump when we like initially when you kind of do two kinds of users there's a fair there's a pretty stark difference in uh, like, same people who didn't subscribe and as soon as they subscribe like what happened to them All right, and um, the reason my math is complex is because then you also have to do things like there's a self selection, right? Like I'm anyways a power user, yeah. so I'm gonna subscribe. Like I'm good for me. I would anyways have used Urban Company, but hey, guess what? They're giving me discount now, uh, right? And there the math becomes super nuanced, and a lot of jargon would get thrown. Uh, but there's a substantial difference. Uh, partner side also there's a subscription, uh, right? Now partner side sub. little similar reason but you basically give them high predictability you tell them hey so you want partners to put in a certain number of hours because it's meaningful for them then all right otherwise the math doesn't work all right so to increase that utilization you give them subscription then you kind of have these constructs which gets them to make more money uh but what we get in return is you know bare minimum lock in which they're able to put in so very different Both worlds for us revolve very different use cases. You are trying to drive in the in the uh, Uber Ola space. 
when the first drivers started seeing a lot of money, they started buying up more cars, and then they would have their brother and cousin and you know wife yeah. and whoever else uh, start driving those four five other cars, and because now they have a mini enterprise. Are you seeing something similar happen on on the urban club side? So the model, no, and that's an aggregator model. So th- at that, and I think so. Even taxi commerce has changed that in India now, uh, but that's basically akin to saying there's an aggregator who actually possesses the cars, and then he has his drivers ride it around. Uh, and this is a learning we had in our second year, and that's when we that's when we shifted to individuals because the problem you run into is exactly the same. The aggregator is not doing the job, so his incentive is to earn money, but the person who's doing the job. Does not get any benefits of the platform, so he's going to do a crappy job at it anyways. <laughs> he's an intermediary; he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, you know, somebody does a job for. Him. So as a platform, you're not incentivizing the real person who's doing a job, and the person you're incentivizing does not really care. When uh, when you launch global international markets, have you had to change any of these processes, and and or there are new segments or new categories you had to create uh, to go there? Who? That's a very interesting one. So our international geographies have this category, which is basically eighty percent of the business. That category does not exist in India. Zero. Wow. So and you're talking about Middle East. You're talking about Middle East, Australia, uh, Singapore. Yeah. These are these are your main markets, right? Outside. Yeah, these are the markets we launched. So UAE has been two years, so it's a little more matured. Singapore, Australia, January baby, so. Uh, all practical purposes, basically three months into their existence, um, their maids is a massive, massive. So some, so maids and beauty are two massive pillars, right? And home repair is the third one. Uh, but the interesting construct is maids does not exist in India uh, because you already have a lot of offline unstructured supply, which is very cheap. Uh, so in India, the quality, uh, the high quality cleaning jobs. Are actually very professional people coming in with equipment, cleaning your sofa and stuff, right? But in these geographies, uh, that layer itself, that maids layer, is is an is a structured market, uh, right? And there you there people are willing to pay for quality, uh, and that's one of the largest categories which we have. Um, you also have like the more typical India India uh, massive value adds, right? So like you have salon or your men's grooming. Uh, but this one is an interesting one. So India does not have that. It's something fueled internationally. Even business model differs a little bit. Like in UAE, uh, even in Singapore, to that matter, uh, these are largely uh, visa-driven economies, right? You have a lot of immigrant uh, workforce, uh, right? And some of them, the rules are such where you have to work with the middle middle layer. So in UAE, for example, uh, the stakeholders. Are a lot. So you have your consumer, you have the actual maid who delivers. You can have an aggregator who controls a set of maids because this is the real business, and then you have a driver because maybe that economy is not very well versed with transportation. So you need cars which are traveling around. Uh, so it's a very interesting. Uh, it's it's a four four party marketplace uh, in, in some of these geographies, whereas India is just two. Oh, that's incredible! So, so you're saying that even to ferry 
the service provider, you need like another service to be able to do that. Yes. Yes. So you have these vans. They're like remote offices, these vans which are floating around the city, uh, right? And they keep doing drop-in, drop-offs and they have calendars and you kind of have to... The driver has a little mini app where he can see con kiska time aa gaya hai. So you're, you're literally running like a, like a mini van service uh, for the service provider, in a way. In a, in a, in a very tech-enabled way, right. in a very light-touch right. way, but, but we have to take care of those aspects as well, yes. You know, uh, the urban company until recently has, you know, about 175 million, at, at least publicly, that's a number that's available in terms of what's gone into building this service over the last five, six years. Where has a lot of that investment happened? Is it on the tech side? Is it on the enablement side? Um, where has a lot of that investment gone? Yeah. So to begin with, I would say there's there's a there's a large portion of that which is still there. So I think we have, we have, overall you'll find us to be a very frugal company. That's one of the core pillars which we have internally. Extremely frugal in terms of business building, uh, and hence we have a large uh, war chest. Um, a lot of our investments go into I think broadly two parts. Right, a lot of it is in just team building and capability building uh, because that's what fuels the thinking and innovation. Um, and second part is in driving a bit of growth uh, and uh, spreading the words awareness in black and building. Uh, right? And the two two buckets, right? So fueling growth, uh, customer acquisitions, and a large part of it is just capability building and team building. And second one is more future site. You're building for the future. First one is massively calculated, extremely frugal. Our marketing teams hate, hate us as founders because we're like, Always very mathematical about it, but the, but jokes aside, I think culturally we are a very different growth engine, so to say, uh, because it's always very calculated and value driven uh, versus uh, throwing money at the problem, which is another strategy which often works for a lot of companies. But we just feel like that's not something which would work for us. We're a we're a more experiential category, so uh, solving for core value proposition is our way of fueling for future growth. I mean, the product has to be solid, right? Otherwise, you're going to um, miss out on, on repeat uh, users. And, and I would imagine any home service is a repeat user category. Uh, and, and, you know, and that you have multiple verticals. You also, also have cross-promotion of those categories in the application. They know, okay, if I'm getting home service, I know I got a good service for this vertical or this segment. I can then use it for, uh, you know, the other one and then so on and so forth. If you're building only to connect one person and that's it and there's no brand involved, then I'm sure you know, you're not going to be able to survive in, in a market like that. Um, Have you heard of uh, uh, this is a very popular Bezos uh, stakeholder letter, right, which talks about his divinely discontent consumers? No, please, uh, I'd love to understand what it is. So this, I, I, this comes from uh, Bezos, very he's popularized the stack, right? Consumers are divinely discontent, uh, okay. right? And they, they just whatever is whatever is good for them becomes normal for them later. And the interesting thing is in services, both the divine and the discontent part are exaggerated. Uh, so you do a very very good job. You're in a very high NPS category, right? So in categories where we have very good full stack, we have the highest consumer tech experience. 
NPS of all segments, right? Uh, but if you do a bad job, consumers are going to really, really thrash you, right? Uh, because it's so interpersonal services. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, uh, I mean, I, I thought we didn't have to time to touch on that topic here, but since you brought it up. because uh, i would imagine i mean for somebody who is uh, i have built many customer service teams you have two ends of the spectrum right and because they have bad experience they will want to talk about it because you know everything the company has done is wrong <laughs> right and you're like no it's it's probably an outlier and you know you there's so many other experiences how do you manage that uh, is there some expectation that you can do some communication how do you manage that uh, from a Well, it has to start with <laughs> the the pursuit of having no exceptions, uh, right? I think uh, consumer has to be the central focal point uh, for any business because they are ultimately paying your salaries, uh, right? And the pursuit of them being happy is really what it's all about, uh, right? And I think a lot of work happens there. Uh, so we have fairly sophisticated tracking tools and metrics which capture all kind like reviews. I think. a very superficial metric which we have there are a lot more detailed metrics in terms of what's happening in our marketplace uh so those are all just like signals coming in right uh the real expectation setting is for us to always be damn good and a lot of investment happens in that respect and we have a fantastic and th- see there will always be grievances right there will be a lot small percentage of jobs which kind of go missing we try to do things there um one is salvage the situation and make sure we do right by the consumer and the partner So we have a team who are who kind of get activated and try to help in, and the second is use all that stuff for learning so that things like these don't happen. Um, but there's not much you could you could do. You can help the consumer at that point, and I think the more important thing in the long term is actually using those as learning to improve. If you don't do the latter, then the problem just exponentially increases. people people are not algorithms right like this is a service provider is a human uh, they're not going to be exact and perfect every time and also the recipient will have their own challenges and and you know requirements that may not actually be fulfilled by somebody that you know shows up uh, absolutely uh, so we just we you know we'll just touch on the covid topic you know as as a last piece of this conversation um you obviously have all these growth plans and and you know uh, from our conversation it seems like you're a frugal company so you have money in the bank to basically outlast covid so to speak um but from a a future and a projection standpoint and a and a business standpoint what are you guys thinking right now on on basically navigating the the you know crisis because it seems like it's going to be uh almost a year year and a half for people to start getting comfortable opening up things coming back to so called pre covid levels which i don't know what that even means so what are you guys thinking right now there is no waiting for something to happen i think we are already in a new normal and the shift happened when the things it was of uh, us as businesses realizing that the world has changed and the playing field has changed uh, so if you look at the last quarter obviously no business was spared we were not spared we had zero business for two months um, and some of the biggest concerns were how do we do right by the consumer the the partners consumers to thai new sami right so right by the partners and how do we do right by employees and we 
basically 1300 people went from working in offices and work to working from home in a matter of two days over a weekend uh right putting desktops into people's houses or laptops or procuring them whatever it took uh safety mattered and because business was zero everyone in the company basically either was like working on tech and investments for the future or just grooming and counseling and talking through partners and training we used this time to upskill uh, and a lot of investments had to be made to make sure our partners are able to survive through these two months salaried people have a buffer not of partners don't uh, right and when especially when they're working for themselves surviving for multiple weeks without it was hard so we did a bunch of things from raising funds to giving them interest free loans from our own side so that they can just pull through these times uh employees we had to take care of uh, and you know more nuances of like are they happy are they learning things we launched our uc academy uh, where we, we used to have we have still have sessions every day every every week sorry uh, uh we 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 decided we're not going to touch on uh, we you know salary cuts or layoffs at all that's the last thing you want to do because um, you know first responsibilities to our partners and employees right and let's and thankfully we we, we didn't require to uh, the good thing is the good news is um uh we were waiting and hoping for the economy to start opening up and now that it started things have started picking up fast for us um and all the two months we've we've been in slumber we've not actually been in slumber we've been working very hard uh to invest in training and adjusting to the new normal uh right making sure every partner when they go live has masks uh we have massive we have amazing tech build to make sure uh, temperature checks happens daily Uh, right and when a partner enters your house you get to see what has been his temperature readings for the last 4 5 days uh, right and before even he enters his, in, enters your house we can we decide on our own if he's wearing a mask and if it is the partner and bunch of these things happen to basically prepare for this new normal uh right the good news is it's it's, it's returning back uh, and we're a little optimistic to be honest uh, I, i think hygiene and safety will become have all not not will become have become already important uh right in the new normal uh and there's a chance for us to do if we're able to do a good job at going deeper as a structured player uh there is a silver lining to this where uh, we might be able to have and create more delight because more consumers would want to not go out to a salon or an external parlor with bunch of people and they'll feel comfortable i'm feeling more comfortable in my house uh right if i restrict my interactions to maybe one person coming these are all more controllable factors right and i think we are optimistic and looking forward to how things pick up again um and i think some new categories have come up for us for this time some we've had to kind of we've realized that these these will become harder to do uh, right so i think what's happened is uh, because of the, the the strain on the economy and the earnings for by and large everyone uh, anything which is more functional gains more importance all right anything which is a little more uh luxury or so to say uh, ambitious uh becomes a little harder at least for the interim time being uh right so for us those categories a little more ambitious aren't the biggest growth drivers right now things which are very functional right salon repairs ac right those are actual needs and people can't keep holding on to it at some point you have to return essentials to normality there there definitely so will be a latent demand that's going to obviously drive yeah. some of that consumption so we will see delayed demand so i think our services are things which people cannot use for a few weeks 
mm-hmm. at some point a lot of our main categories will see that demand pouring which we are starting to see now uh, are there any new skills you picked up during lockdown yeah i i uh, i became a pretty well an okayish ukulele player okay you are a ukulele uh, lying around i do have a ukulele lying around okay <laughs> <laughs> i have a ukulele and guitar and i think this this season i chose ukulele and i did a massive uh, theory course matlab self learned theory course so now i really understand how chords work and why do certain chords or keys so to yeah. say make better sense to our ears uh, i think that's really the big one which i i tried origami also for those i think for any listener who's out like if you uh, also realize focusing is very hard and i suck at it right and i think lockdown make, made you really realize like focusing is hard and to solve that i tried my hand at origami wow. and for those who think origami is about making those like tippy tippy top things or like those boats you're wrong you could make some really intense like dragons and stuff and it takes hours to make some of these pieces i have huge respect for those who do it i failed at it but that's another thing i was trying to pick up uh, origami is a japanese art right um, yeah it's, uh, they have a lot of uh, different nuances to it and i think uh, they have grids they they visualize grids on the paper and then then you think about how each grid functions yeah it's like a mechanical engineering course where you're like ek piece of paper mein you have all like you have to model things professional origami would like model thing and then they start folding it's mind boggling a worth try especially if you're looking for like a little more meditative form of activity um you know if if you have some cool resources that you found that i i could put it on the links so people can maybe explore uh, if they're interested uh, in that you can save them some time um sure Hey Raghav, this has been amazing. Thanks for uh, sharing all the amazing learnings that you've had at uh, Urban Company. Um, uh, thanks again. This has been amazing. Thank you, Arun.